Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have William Farley and Nick Wynn from Padres Wine Shop and Bar coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene and a frequent traveler. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Daddy. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. We have revealed this year's Culture Map Tastemaker Awards winners. They are, very briefly, Neighborhood Restaurant of the Year went to Craft Pita. Captain Foxheart's Bad News Bar is your Bar of the Year. Christine Wynn from Captain Foxheart's is your Bartender of the Year. Nancy Sussel won Wine Program. Sean Gall won Pastry Chef of the Year. Best Burger went to Burger Bodega. Koi Barbecue took Best Pop-Up. Ico won our Best New Restaurant Tournament. Emmanuel Chavez from Totemo is your Rising Star Chef of the Year. Mark Clayton from Squabble is your Chef of the Year. And the top prize, Restaurant of the Year, went to Blue Dorn. Matt, it's kind of a mouthful. You, as it happens, were one of the judges on this year's Tastemaker Awards panel. So let me just ask you, as a judge, how do you think we did? Do you, do you feel good about this year's group of winners? I mean, I just think it's a good indication of where Houston is in the dining landscape. It's a really strong slate of nominees and winners. And it's very, I'm just, it uh, reinforces my excitement about what's happening in Houston. You know, I, like you, I'm, I'm excited for everybody. You know, I thought it was a very strong group of nominees across all of the categories. So you know, really anybody could have won and would have been worthy of the recognition. But it's a good balance of kind of the the newcomers that are that are really like driving the interest in the scene and some more established people who have been doing good work for a long time that are arguably due uh, for this kind of recognition. You know, I think about someone like Mark Clayton, who, you know, worked at Cultivare, worked for Justin Yu at Theodore Rex, you know, Squabble opened in 2019. He's been on this list before and it's, it, it is fitting, you know, he is due to, to win this award and, and that, that he had so much competition, I think speaks very well of the state of our culinary scene. Big Mark Clayton fan. I think, uh, Justin, you said a chef, chef and, that is probably same words I would use. And again, it's, yeah, you know, I just, I think Houston is uh, really building something and uh, it's exciting. You, you did say one other thing that I, I wanted to sort of follow up on, which is that people care about these awards. And, and I have to say that that, that is like, I, I think about when we started the awards and we started giving these out in 2014 to just think how far the ceremony has come in terms of, you know, attendance at the event and and participation from the restaurants and and that people get really excited to win these things. It's 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 very flattering, you know, and and it it reflects the work that Culture Map has put into it and that our judges put into the effort every year. And and you know, it's it's an exciting thing to be a part of. It's it's certainly the the coolest thing I get to do every year. Yeah, I think I, I'm 
a big believer in how much the food and beverage industry gives. And uh, so it's, it's nice to get recognition. And, and yes, I think, you know, I think this is a community, like you said, they give a lot. They work very hard. They're worth celebrating. It's worth turning the, the camera around as it were and, and putting them in the spotlight and, and saying, you know, good job. Thank, thank you for all that you do for us. Indeed. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Angelo and Luciana Emiliani have announced that they have closed their restaurant, Louis Italian American, to transform it into Angie's Pizza. Food fans will remember that Angie's Pizza is Angelo's pizza pop-up that he brought to Houston in 2020. Now that that restaurant space is currently closed while it undergoes renovations that include the installation of a wood-burning pizza oven. Uh, Matt, I I know that, you know, I've had Angelo on the show. Uh, We've covered, you know, his various uh, projects over the years and Culture Map pretty extensively. I know that you've you've been to Cafe Louis and then Louis Italian American and you've patronized the Angie's Pizza pop-up. So... What is, what is your assessment of kind of this this decision that they've made to to focus on pizza? If memory serves, we we may have shared a few uh, pizzas at one of those pizza pop ups. At least at least once, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I I think uh, I am going to just trust that Angie is following and and uh, Louis are following the path that is best for them. I'm excited about Angie's pizza just as I was excited about Cafe Louie and Louie's Italian American. I mean, I will say as much as I enjoyed Cafe Louie and was sad to see it go. And as much as I had sort of found some dishes at Louie's Italian American that I really enjoyed and would go back for of all of the food that I've eaten from Angelo in, in three years, his pizza is my favorite of, of all the things that he's made. And so that he's back to making pizza, I think, is good news. And and I know it's been kind of a journey to get to this point uh, of trying different concepts and trying to figure out what's a fit for the neighborhood. But for me, bring on the pizza. Like, there can never be too many quality pizzeria options in the city. And, and you know, this is relatively close to home for me. So I think it's going to be very much in the rotation at, at whatever point, you know, once they work through, you know, whatever construction and permitting and all that, like whenever it opens, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Indeed. Indeed. I think, you know, selfishly, it, it doesn't really matter. I think the, for me, it's, it's about supporting. So whether it's Cafe Louie, whether it's Louis Italian American, whether it's Angie's pizza, I'm there. Let's go. Congratulations. And uh just, Excited about uh, what I think will be another quality concept. Yeah, and they're keeping a couple of the the most popular dishes from Louis Italian American. So the rigatoni with the sausage ragu gets to stick around. The tiramisu that I I think is one of the better versions of that dessert uh, floating around the city. They'll they'll be on the they'll be on the Angie's Pizza menu and and two different sizes of pizza, which I think is interesting. The the kind of 12 inch Italian style and then like a big shareable 18 inch New York style pie. And and I remember he did, 
you know, Angelo did those New York style pies once or twice as a pop-up. And I, you know, I, I happened to buy one and take it to my family for, for a big lunch. It was a big hit. Having the different styles of pizza, you know, using the Barton Springs Mill flour, the local, the Texas flour, you know, using Texas ingredients to top the pizzas and, and all that stuff. I just, I think this is going to be a big hit when it opens and I, I really can't wait. Shout out to one of the uh, OGs of the Snack Lab. And don't twist my arm with a good time. <laughs> All right. And then just briefly, topic number three, I want to talk about, I just want to talk about the news real quick that Bobby Hugel and Justin Yu have announced that they will no longer be the operating partners for the food and beverage at Hotel Lucene. This is a boutique hotel that is currently under construction in Galveston on the seawall. Uh, this was a project they were pretty excited about, and they they hired Lila Ortiz, formerly of UB Preserve, to, to be the executive chef. She will remain in that role, but Bobby and Justin will no longer be involved. Now, they haven't, they haven't said very much about why they came to this decision or, or how it went down, and I don't want to speculate, but, but do you have just like a kind of gut reaction to whether this changes anything for you about whether you're more or less likely to go to Hotel Lucene? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, I'm just going to, they both have made comments talking about how that they're still fans of the project. And I think that's probably where I am as well. I think having uh, Layla Ortiz as a chef certainly grabbed my curiosity. And that remains as, as she is still on the project. Yeah. I Just to emphasize your point, yeah, both Bobby and Justin have said, you know, they're fans of the hotel. They think it's going to be successful. Uh, there's an interview with Bobby and Eater floating around where he says that since they're not going to be involved in the hotel, they can focus on some other things, including finding a second location for Better Luck Tomorrow, uh, doing some renovations to the original Better Luck Tomorrow. I think that's all to the good. Uh, that's obviously been a very, a very successful concept for them. And, and, this is a dynamic restaurant group. I mean, you know, they have Squabble. They have Better Luck Tomorrow. Bobby opened Refuge next to Anvil. Last year, Theodore Rex remains one of the better restaurants in Houston. And and whatever they do next will certainly be uh, worth paying attention to. No, I think so. I mean, they're whatever they touch, in in my opinion, is has been first class. So uh, there's what's next. We'll, I think, follow that same idea and i look forward to it Daddy, i just look for i just look forward to everything it's we're, we're this is an optimistic podcast fundamentally we're glass uh, half full daddy glass half right. full that's right all right i'm gonna say that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week stick around Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I have two places I want to talk to you about. Let's start with Oheya by Uchi. This is the new omakase concept that they opened in the former Southside Espresso space next to Uchi proper. You know, you dine in this style maybe a little bit more often than I do. So, so let me throw it to you. I mean, what were your what were your sort of thoughts about our meal at Oheya? Uh, I think it's it's uh, interesting. There is, I, I actually did back-to-back omakases 
over the weekend. And I think that there's, uh, it's a smart use of space for them, for Uchi. You know, they're, they're one of the uh, literal OGs, certainly uh, in the Houston scene for sushi. And uh, I think that there's going to be some excitement to see what they do. They have rotating chefs and, you know, it was early. I'm not even sure they were, they were open when we went um, publicly open, but uh, something I'll certainly keep an eye on. Yeah. You know, I, you know, kind of thinking about like the, the space and the, the menu and everything, I thought it was a little bit different than what I typically think of from, from Uchi, you know, it's, like you said, you know, each each month is a menu created by a different kind of guest chef from within the Uchi atmosphere or universe, I suppose. And and you know, it's worth remembering. I mean, there's there's quite a few locations now. I mean, there's Uchi and Uchiko in Houston and Austin, of course. There's an Uchi in Dallas, Miami, Denver. Uh, one is coming soon to Los Angeles. So, you know, it's a pretty big restaurant group these days, and and so they have a lot of talent. And Ojea kind of serves as a, a showcase for, you know, different sous chefs or chef de cuisines that want to do something that's a little bit outside kind of the normal boundaries of, of what they do. And, and I just think, you know, for that reason, it's exciting. And, and also it's just like physically, it's just a very comfortable space. You know, it's, it's a table height counter that there's, you know, three or four chefs working right in front of you to prepare this, uh, I think ours was a, a 15 course menu and, and it's, so it's very interactive in that sense, right? You know, it's, everything is, is made right in front of you and served directly to you. And, and, you know, it's a little more personal even than a, a regular omakase aduchi where you're, you're really only interacting with your, your server and not the chefs unless you're sitting at the sushi counter. So, you know, I, I liked, I liked all of those aspects about it. And, and I think that, you know, it's not, it's not kind of the traditional progression, right? There was no Toro. And then, you, you know, you did get a piece of A5, which was really nice, but like right in the middle of the fish courses, there was like a, an asparagus dish. that was like very light and very springy. And I think they're, you know, they're not sort of playing by the same sort of traditional rules of a progression. And, and I thought, you know, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I think that's by design, right? Because if it's just what they do at Uchi Next Door, you know, how interesting is that? Um, and right. I think no, it has giving... to be a different experience. No, I, I think that's exactly right. 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 And yeah, I, that, that traditional, you know, high-low counter, two-level counter works very well for that sort of intimate setup. And, you know, it gives them a chance to sort of spread their wings a little bit and, and do some things outside. Uh, you know, what Uchi does... Very, very well. I mean, they do a lot of things very well, but um, what they do as as well as anything is just repetition. It's consistently the same. Uh, and then, Matt, for our second restaurant, I want to talk to you about Muse. This is uh, the new restaurant in the former Emmeline space on West Dallas. EJ Miller is the chef. We know. EJ from a bunch of restaurants. He worked for the Clark Cooper group for a long time at places like Salt Air Seafood Kitchen. He was uh, Ryan Lachane's opening sous chef at Riel. He was Michael Mina's 
Houstonian on the ground at International Smoke, the short-lived uh, barbecue concept. Again, let me just let me just start to you. I mean, what what were your kind of uh, impressions of our meal at Muse? Full disclosure, uh, I'm 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 definitely an EJ fan. I think he understands flavors, and I think he understands work, and uh, I think that that sort of came through and and um it's a big menu and uh so i think you could go several times and have different experiences which i'm a fan of the space is really beautiful they did a great job on the build out and i think people are already responding we were there on a tuesday night if memory serves and it was a solid crowd yeah uh, uh not just not just like in terms of its size relative to the size of the venue right they were busy but there was a sense of occasion a sense of occasion about being at muse people were dressed up there were big tables there was it was celebratory there's cocktails you know on tables there's there's bottles of wine being open so it, it does have that like it has it has a real energy to it a, a real vibrance to it and and it does have that like you know this is this is one of those like new restaurants that people are really excited about, I think. And I do, I, I share your admiration for EJ's talent as a chef. I, you know, he's been kind of waiting for an opportunity like this to lead a kitchen and, and show all of these techniques that he's learned and all the, this food that he really appreciates. And, and like you said, he's doing, I mean, he came to the table. He's like, we're doing it all. You know, we're making our own sambal. We're baking our own bread. We're, all of these things that that even like restaurants of quality don't always do, right? They they buy some of that stuff, you know. They're doing it all, and and he's working his tail off to to make it all happen. So I like the ambition of it, you know. I I respect that a lot. I don't know what were maybe two or three of your favorite things that we tried. I mean, right out of the gate, that salt and pepper cauliflower and those pot stickers. Yeah, no, I bangers. I, yeah, absolutely. I I would agree with with both of those. You know, that, I thought that that duck was. I mean, bravo. Yeah, crispy skin, fat rendered just right. I mean, I've I've been eating kind of duck around recently. You know, Michael Fulmer and I talked about the duck at uh, O'Tour uh, on last week's show that we really enjoyed. This was even better than that. I think this is it's probably the best duck breast I've had in a Houston restaurant in a while. And I was very impressed with the the glazed black cod too. A little, a little on the sweeter side, but the fish was really juicy. It was really nicely cooked. You know, that's a dish that we've seen. You know, that's one of those uh, that's one of those uh, Nobu dishes that's kind of taken over the world. Uh, and he just put a good spin on it. Yeah, really clean flavors, cooked really well. Uh, definitely enjoyed that. I I will say I I know you're you're loath to uh, to be too specific in in a criticism, but. You know, there were a couple of blips, you know, I, I think a couple of signs that EJ still getting things dialed in. We had a lobster pasta where the, you know, I thought the pasta was really nicely cooked and the filling was great, but the individual pieces of lobster within the pasta were maybe just a little bit overcooked. We had an agua chile that I just like, I just wanted like a little bit more from, you know, a, a little more spice, a little more citrus, but, but nothing I think that would, that would deter me from from going back to Muse? No, not at all. I mean, it, it was all, I mean, excitement for me. And uh, I know, uh, I, I say I know, I'm, I'm pretty sure 
that brunch is uh, going to be coming here pretty soon, and that uh, is is another reason for excitement. I think that'll be something that uh, uh, I look forward to that menu. Yeah, I know. EJ, EJ said he's he's got some great ideas for brunch. He can't wait to roll that out. He's like, you know, give me – what do you say? Something like give me – give me a walk station and a brunch menu and I'm going to have a lot of fun or something like that. So, you know, I, I can't wait to see what he comes up with, with that. And, and if a Tuesday night dinner crowd was, was well-dressed in there uh, celebrating fun occasions, then I, I can only imagine what Sunday brunch is going to be. It's, you know, it's basically going to be like a fashion show. Yeah. And then, you know, again, for being, being so early, you know, out of the gate, they dug a lot of boxes, check service, um, as you said, energy enjoyed almost everything that we had and have been, you know, people are asking, hey, here we go. Here's another, here's another quality spot to add to the dining landscape. So I'm here for it. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't want to neglect the desserts. I mean, we had, we had three of them. I think, you know, we, uh, you know, we were three people and three desserts and, and I think there were at least two that we sort of cited as favorites. I know you like that. That usually tart, I thought, you know, can't go wrong with with uh, chocolate and coffee for me. So that that mocha tort really, like, I could just, I could, I could have eaten all of that by myself. Well, I'm glad that you didn't. <laughs> then you wouldn't have gotten any. <laughs> yeah, no, they, those those are definitely enjoyable. I, yeah, that uh, yuzu is just a flavor profile that's just right in my wheelhouse for me. Just like a little kid in a candy store, and and I had a really nice meringue on the side and. And you could take bites of the components individually and it was delicious or all together and it was delicious. And that, that little mousse they had on top of that mocha tart was, was outstanding. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know you're not a drinker, but I had a couple of cocktails and I thought they were balanced. They were pretty to look at. They were, they were good compliments to the, the flavors on the menu. So I, I welcome all of that too. And, and, you know, the one other thing is, you know, we were we were the restaurant's guests, so you know they they paid for the dinner. We left a generous tip, but but the prices on this menu are are very reasonable for what you're getting. You know that that black cod is is thirty four bucks at least. You know the the lobster pasta is thirty dollars. A a bone in ribeye of Texas wagyu from RC Ranch is you know fifty eight right now on the on the menu online. So. I would say go and enjoy this place uh, before they come to their senses and raise the prices 20%. Well, I, I think it, it provides, you know, good ROI and, and that's to me, that's, that's what I'm looking for. And they kept my ice glass filled. Always appreciated. <laughs> yes. It's, it's strange that sometimes we have trouble getting you, uh, you know, just, just, just ice, not, not water, not ice water, just ice. <laughs> But yes, no. Uh, Muse was Muse was very attentive. They were very gracious. They were they were very welcoming. Yeah, yeah. Congrats to to the both front front and back of house. So they will see me again soon. Yes, yeah, especially once brunch gets going. I I can't wait to go back there. True story, Daddy. All right, Matt. I'm going to say that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I will be right back with William and Nick from Padres Wine.
I am joined this week by two of the people behind Padre's Wine Shop and Bar, a new wine venue that just opened in the Heights. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. Owner William Farley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. General Manager Nick Wynn, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for doing so this. William, let me let me just start with you. I mean, just maybe kind of talk about your your kind of history in, in the wine world and, and how you how you kind of made the the leap from someone with a career in, in the energy industry to, to getting into the wine business. Yeah, so I grew up um, with wonderful, wonderful parents who <laughs> introduced me to wine at a very young age. Um, I had a, my father was a stay at home father. My mom worked in the oil and gas industry all the way up until her retirement. She was a geologist. I like to say that they were big, um, just in time inventory folks. So we enjoyed nice wine, but it was never any kind of a collection. So I was exposed to a breadth of wine. It started with Burgundy, Napa. We had a lot of Italian wines in the house. So my brother and I were exposed to that in our early age. Uh, we always enjoyed it as one of our drinks. And then, as you mentioned, after college, I went into oil and gas industry, investment banking, banks, back to industry, and then most recently ended in investment banking. As you're probably well aware, that's a very time-intensive and arduous profession. Uh, it was more or less grinding me down. I had a father who had a very big uh, spirit, really enjoyed life. And he took me aside numerous occasions and said, you got, you got to get out of this. This isn't for you. You have too much fun. You, you kind of have more of a spirit like me. So my brother and I were looking for something to do. Sounds cliche, but We've been to South America many times over. We've been to Italy and we ran into that age old question that a lot of other people had. Hey, we have all these fantastic wines while we're down there. Why can't you get that up in the States? As it turns out, three tier system. Everybody's heard that importer, distributor, retail, smaller production wineries have a big, big problem of getting a foothold in the States. They don't produce enough. It's too. It's on the cheaper side, so you don't get that volume price mix that makes it enticing. So suffice it to say, we looked at the wine industry, sounded a lot more fun than flying to Tulsa all the time and going down to Chile and staying on Santiago. So we embarked on that with my brother and I at the time, or he's still my brother, but he was in the business with me. So we started Farley Brothers Selections. He was on that side, the import side. I was self-distributing. And focused on South America. We've been going down there with my father for a number of years, ever since 2011. When we started the company, my father, as I mentioned, he was the one who really said, you have to go do this for your own sake. And I, so I quit my job, founded the two companies, didn't have a name for it. And then unfortunately, he passed away unexpectedly two months, three months after I quit. Um, and so I named it Padres after him. So my brother, my brother, my mom, my friends alike, we all called him Padre. And so that's that's where we stand now and open the brick and mortar. I thought it was a natural progression to be able to showcase some of the wines that we import, but also 
more importantly, have a really fun space to rewind in the heights. Yeah, I guess, Nick, let me let me kind of get you in on this. I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time. You were at you were at Riel, you opened uh Musafer, you were at Dagama for the last couple of years. Why did why did uh, Padres seem like the next logical step for you in, in your career? For me, this is uh, this is where it excites me because it gets a chance for me to really talk about the passion of the wine and, and actually hospitality in a different sense where we can invite people to come in and actually just enjoy talking to each other and also learn at the same time. Uh, there's just, I mean, there's definitely a lot of wine, great wine bars out here, but we just wanted to be a little bit different in, in, in the White Oak um, in the Heights area because it's just... It's, it's missing that come in, let's go ahead and have fun and, and really have great drinks. And, you know, we're providing wines that are small allocated. And and just like for William, he, he opened my eyes with South American wines, where it's really is misrepresented. And I really want to take the time to actually show people that all these great winemakers are taking all this time creating all these great products. So we need to help expose that for them. And also a, a good, good camping ground for a lot of people in the industry where they can come in and do business and relax and really enjoy each other's company and network at the same time. We just want to make sure this is just a good ground for everything. And I just want to be a part of that because with William, he's just so passionate about everything. So with that, it kind of all aligns aligns together. It just happened naturally. So I'm just happy to be here with William, to be honest with you. I mean, William, you know, you said you saw the opening of wine bar as kind of a logical extension. But, of course, there are, there are plenty of wine importers and wine distributors that, that don't want anything to do with, like, you know, retail, <laughs> retail wine, you know, interacting with the public, right? They, they want to do tastings for psalms and, and kind of stay at that wholesale level. So, so what was it about what 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 did make you kind of want to take that next step and 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 have a, a retail, not just not just a wine shop where people can buy the wines, but a wine bar where people can can sit and drink and and have a little charcuterie and and kind of socialize. No, that's a great question, um, and I I got that question a lot when I started this, but it's really back to what Nick was saying. You're able to make that connection at the end consumer level. So we're able to tell the stories behind the wineries to folks and, and get to know them. And I mean, it, it definitely has been early, but it seems to have been paying off dividends. The amount of interest that there were, and also just lack of knowledge when it comes to South American wines that we've seen behind the bar and at the retail side, it's been tremendous. And, and once people taste the wines and they see the prices, it's been a no brainer for most consumers. So I, I just really like being able to take that final step and have the connection with the consumer to make, to market the wines for the wineries. So sometimes it gets lost in that final step, I feel like. Yeah. I'm, and say a little more about South American wines, because I, I feel like they've been, you know, up and coming for probably more than 20 years, right? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but, you know, Talk a little bit about kind of kind of how you see them and and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Okay, yeah, no, I mean I could talk all day about it. So, as you're, I think you're probably well aware, Eric. A lot of the South American wines they have a little bit of a it's still a bad reputation from the '90s when there was a lot of mass produced wines. Um, so in Chile, 
once Pinochet came out of power and, and opened up the markets in the early 90s, there were only a couple of producers really producing. You had Conchi Toro and some of the other, Santorita, the other large ones. So you had maybe six producers, eight producers who were producing 90 plus percent of the wines, right? So it's massive commercialized base, um, trying to sell stuff wholesale for two bucks. So you had these either overripe Carmenaires or way too underripe and just, it wasn't great wines. Well, over the past 20 years in Chile, you have all these mom and pop enterprises who've really push the boundaries when it comes to growing zones. So we work with one producer, Choppy, that's all the way down in the Sorno Valley in Patagonia. It's freezing cold. It's got this electric acidity in all their wines. And we work with Vinascaro up north. They were the first ones to plant in the Atacama Desert, the driest place on earth. Um, and then same thing over in Argentina. You had a lot of large houses and you have a lot of small, younger winemakers who are coming in and they're kind of pushing the boundaries. Uh, with new varietals or with high elevation. And then Uruguay is one of my favorite places um, because they, up until 2017, were really focused domestically. And they've pivoted when they had a zero-tolerance driving law. They had a very uh, European kind of culture. Everybody drank at lunch. So you had these very weak wines. Consumption decreased 30% overnight. So people pivoted to the export premium market. And they're really just scratching the surface of the potential. So tying it all together, though, it's really, to me, it's about, at the end of the day, it's about cost basis. So you go down there and you can purchase very, you can purchase 250-year-old vines, Pais vines, or maybe even uh, Simeon vines, and Garcarignan, and it costs $15,000 an acre, 20000 versus Bordeaux, Napa, Burgundy, you're talking in the hundreds of thousands, maybe a million dollars. So at the end of the day, they're going to have to charge a lot more just to break even. And labor is also cheaper down there, too. So that's on the economics front. But when it comes to the style of wines, I don't think that they're really inhibited um, by market perception or the end consumer perception. Hey, this is how it has to taste coming out of there. And so they've done some really cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, certain regions are associated with certain styles of wine, you know, Napa Valley cabs and Oregon Pinots and all that. So like, mm -hmm. what, what are you kind of bringing in from, from South America? What, what are some of the varietals that, that you're particularly strong in at Padres? I would say Pais is one of them, you know, Mission Grape. We have a number of Pais either from Chile or Argentina. I'm a big fan of Sauvignon Blanc from Chile with all the different expressions that you get either on the coast or as we talked about down in Patagonia or up in the foothills of the Andes. In Argentina, I'm a, true believer in Simeon. What they're doing with Simeon over there is fantastic. Uh, and then we also have some old vine Trousseau from Argentina. And in Uruguay, <laughs> they do a lot of Tanat, but I've got this young producer, uh, Bruno Brasesti out of Canelones, who's pushing the envelope when it comes to your mainstays and Tanat. He does this summer Tanat. Maybe you've seen it around town. Uh, it's been a big seller for us, but he just does a really brief maceration, semi-carbonic method where it's really fruit forward, almost like a Jolly Rancher, but low tannins and nice acidity. It's awesome. And you, you get to chill it in the summer and everybody drinks it by the pool. It's fantastic. Uh, and then, Nick, just tell me a little bit about kind of the customer experience. I mean, you know, I know you've got the wine shop, you've got the the patio. I mean, what, what can people sort of expect when they visit Padres? 
So when they actually come in, the great thing about us is like we actually give them an opportunity to try some of the wines from South America to, to kind of taste it in the beginning and then give them a chance to kind of have a sip and walk around and really enjoy the atmosphere on that. So the feedback on that lately has been really great. It's just because you feel like you're a part of a to me, it's like it's kind of like walking into a winery where you're able to taste the wine while you're purchasing wine. And then once you're ready, you can actually go to the bar side and have a glass and enjoy the really nice weather that we're currently having in Houston out in the patio. And then once you're you're ready for that and you need to get a bottle to 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 go for dinner or home, they always go purchase right after that. So we're just been getting really great feedbacks on that. And the guests that actually have been coming in, they actually really enjoy South American wines in general before we even open. So it's it's just great that we've been getting all these incredible feedbacks on the front end and also like on the back end of everything that we're doing. So it's just been great. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously there's, you know, like you said, there's no shortage of sort of places to drink a glass of wine in the Heights. I mean, you're, like geographically, you're sort of right in between, you know, Postino and Mutiny Wine Room. I mean, how do you kind of see yourself like positioned, you know, within that market of, you know, is it the South American wines or, or how does Padres really stand out? Well, oh, you got it. <laughs> no so, yeah, for us to kind of stand out, it's it's more um, to kind of set the environment where we want other people to have conversations with other people. Um, so the music is it's. It's there, but it's not too loud. We want to, to have the guests be able to to converse and network with each other. And it's been like everybody, everybody that's been coming in from the inside and out, even if they don't know each other, has been talking to each other. So naturally, it's just been setting up this, this field of people just networking and talking to each other without even knowing each other. So that alone kind of sets us apart from going to Postino's versus some of the other places because usually those atmospheres are a little bit louder, you know, it's there for the food and, and everything else. So obviously we have food too, but we're just wanting people to converse more, I guess, in this building versus others. So yeah. Uh, anything you want to add, William? Yeah, no, I mean, to echo what Nick said, the way that we laid everything out with the patio and then the interior is it's supposed to kind of be like a living room. Uh, it's very free flowing. So it fosters those kinds of um conversations that Nick was referring to or meetings. I mean, it was pretty fun. We've only been open five days, but last week on the weekend, I was watching various groups who had no prior understanding of each other. They were clustered around on couches and you could see them start to talk to each other. It was, it was pretty fun for me. I, I'm a pretty social person. So so I guess it sounds like the neighborhood is is already checking you out. They're already embracing it. Oh, yeah. It, it's been a lot of fun. People walking in and say and they'll tell us, hey, I've watched this happen for two years. I'm, I'm a block down or two blocks down. Couldn't be more excited for y'all to open. And that kind of reception has it's been pretty surreal. It's been fantastic. Well, and you're in such an interesting kind of community of other bars and restaurants, right? Like it's it's very easy to imagine going to Padres for a glass of wine and then going to Handy's Dozo or, or going to <laughs> Cultivare or and then, you know, finishing it, it easies or permission or, you know, however someone's night might take them. But but it's a really dynamic group of bars and restaurants that you're connected to geographically. It's funny you say that because Friday night I was behind the counter with Nick and I was asking a bunch of, oh, do you want to start a tab? Or no, we're going to close out because we have a reservation at Cultivare. And then they pop over to 
easies, I felt like a lot in permission. And then sometimes they'd come back over for us for a nightcap. It was great seeing them one more time. Hey, guys. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing something right. Yes. Uh, and tell me about the food. I mean, I, I know it's it's kind of a limited menu, but but you've got some stuff that you're excited about. Uh, yes. So as for the food, um, we're, we're definitely working with a lot of uh, local vendors like Houston Dairy Maid. They've been great with us kind of curating the cheese and um, just the jams and everything that's needed. Uh, cake and bacon for the bread. It's, it's been incredible, too. So I'm just creating stuff that we're not not always used to in Houston. So basically, I have a current one that's a fried bologna sandwich just because I love Alshabelle in Chicago and I kind of make make a take on that. Uh, I have a BLT, basically, like just basically sandwich stuff that we can actually do just to come in, pop in, just because uh, with uh, with Mason in Louisiana with Turkey and the Wolf, I just had a lot of inspiration with what he does over there. So I'm just kind of, you know, giving him an, a, a little credit there to create some great sandwiches here. And, and it's, it's just, you know, obviously we're going to have meat and cheese boards. We're going to have oysters and, and stuff, small bites like that. But no, nothing that's going to be super, like, outrageous out there. But just just for us to kind of enjoy some good food while you have some great wine. And, and William, how's the retail side going? I mean, are, are people shopping these wines? Are they, have you noticed any patterns yet in terms of what they're buying? Well, they're buying a lot of South American, which I've been very pleased with. It's um, It's been interesting. So at the beginning, I think people, they walk in. The way it's situated is you walk into the retail space, right? And I would say it's about 1,200 square feet. And then you have to push all the way back to get to the bar. You have to pass through the, let's call it the living room first. But people have been operating, I feel like, under the assumption that it's a, it's a wine bar, first and foremost. And so we've been educating people, hey, it's a retail shop. And within the first couple of days, people have been pouring in, oh, I'm running back to the pool because we have a party, grabbing a couple of bottles of white wine that we recommended. We've had a great uptake so far on the wine club that we're rolling out. Uh, Forgot how many people are in there already. Growing fast every day. Getting close, double digits, so it's good. It's good. And I hope that we we become kind of the bottle shop for the Heights. We're going to have four to 500 selections, different selections. Um, as we've mentioned in the press release, maybe 20% of those will eventually be South American, but we want to cater to a wide range of tastes. Yeah, so, I mean, we obviously we've been talking about the South American wines, but, but what else are you stocking? We've got everything from Georgian wine, Slovenian wine, your staples, Burgundy, Bordeaux, domestic. Uh, we have natural wine. We have more classic wine. Just pretty much everything that we can get our hands on that myself, Nick, and Travis, who who runs the retail, um, Travis Walker, that we really like and think that would place really well in the Heights. So it's it's also a learning process as we'll probably do some changeover, figure out what people in the Heights really like to imbibe. But so basically, it's a lot of wines too that you're not going to find at Specs or Total Wine. It's 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 more going to be closer to what you'll get at Vinology, 13 Celsius, and or how to survive land and sea. So those are the the type of places that you you'll get the the kind of wines that we have in the building too as well. So 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 let me just ask you. I mean, you know, you've you've got the you know you've got the wine bar aspect. You've got the retail aspect. You know, what are your what are your kind of goals for, say, your first six months or a year? Like, how would you like to see it grow? For the physical location, I, I would just, 
honestly, I would just really like to see a lot of re- repeat customers for it to become kind of the, and to me, that would indicate that it's becoming more of a fabric of the neighborhood because I want it to be an institution that people down the block or in the Heights, they go to on a regular basis. That's what's fun to me. Uh, I don't necessarily think that it should be some kind of destination where if you come into Houston, oh, you got to go to Padres. I want it to be a Heights, a Heights place because I love the Heights. The Heights is awesome. But in terms of numbers, I'm just happy where it's going. And I want to distribute as many wines as I can across Texas. So. And for myself, I always think outside the box and always think of ways to cater to everyone's needs. So definitely this is going to be a place where we can do a lot of future venues. Uh, you can, you know, for when it comes down to birthday parties, to baby showers, to wedding rehearsals, whatever that's needed. This is a great uh, venue spot too as well, because each room can be actually be separated and actually be able to cater to those events. So it's just, we want to make sure it's a camping ground for every possible thing that's needed in the building. So we're just super excited. Yeah. And and you mentioned your wine club. So what does that entail and and how can people get involved with that? Yeah, so we have two different options. So you have the monthly option. It's $75 a month for three wines. And with that, you pick it up at the store on the last Monday of the month, 5% off all bar purchases once you become a member. And then we have the quarterly option, which is going to be 12 wines for $300 a month, same price on a dollar per bottle basis, 5% off as well. But we're actually offering that to be delivered to your home on Mondays, uh, the last Monday. And it's going to have, we're going to run the gamut when it comes to themes, but you'll generally have a white, two reds or white sparkling a red, but we can do fun stuff. Hey, take a trip across Andes or how's me Pinot Noir expressed across altitude or various regions around the world. So, Yeah. And also we'll give an option where you can come in and pick it up or we can actually get it where we can deliver it to on, on that Monday and you know, for me, it's like I, I live in an apartment building where because I'm always constantly at work anyways. And I know there's a lot of consumers out there that are the exact same way where they're not able to, to come and go pick out some wine. So that's another great thing about uh, the wine club part where we're thinking about delivering it to specific apartment complexes where you can kind of cater to everyone's needs uh, because sometimes they don't have time to go pick out some bottles. So yeah. and that's what we're working on. Well, it's also kind of a nice way to discover wine, right? Like if you're still new to these, especially these South American wines, we'll sort of trust you guys to, to figure out like what people should be trying in any different, you know, season or, or like you said, explore different expressions of, of the same wine across different uh, geographic regions. Yes. I mean, definitely that's what we want. We want to give them the, the stories and storytelling is what we do best here. And, uh, definitely broaden their minds, expand, expand their knowledge. I mean, there's just so much for us to learn and we want to, for them to learn too as well. So it's, it's great to, to have everyone on the same page and, and learn and try new things together. So that's, that's super exciting adventure for us. Well, um, I have to say that that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? For, for myself, I, I mean, I, I think I'm good. But no, I'm, I'm good. good. It's been a pleasure, Eric. And I just, I'm, I'm very excited to be opening this in a city with a lot of other fantastic institutions. Nick referenced 13 Celsius, Venology, Montrose Cheese and Wine. Those guys are all camarada. They're fantastic. And if 
listeners haven't been to any of those, I highly, highly recommend going there and visiting them. Fantastic selections. And more importantly, the, the staff at those places is far none some of the best. And so Nick and I have drawn a lot of inspiration from how those organizations are run because I think they're fantastic. I agree. They're all great. So that's, that's why we're creating this for the Heights. Yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. William, let me start with you. Since this is a this is a wine that's been a wine conversation, what is your what is your favorite varietal? It's a good question. I know mine. <laughs> you know yours. Yeah. Uh Syrah. All right, Nick, how about you? Mine's the Pais, because that's that changed my mind. That that kind of blew my mind um this past uh, couple of weeks. So yeah, that's Incredible, incredible. All right, Nick, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Ooh, I think it was. I can't remember that one, but I do remember Coldplay is like my favorite. I'm going to have to say, yeah, I'm going to have to say Coldplay because I can't remember my first concert. I, I will take that. William, how about you? That's a hard question. I've been Dwight Yoakum. William, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through that's water burger. Nick, how about you? That's not fair because I'm yeah, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, right. You sit there and wait for an hour to get water burger. So yeah, you definitely <laughs> water burger is my favorite. A one thick and hearty was my favorite. Mine burger. is. All right, Nick. What is the last TV show you binged? TV show. And remember, we're always constantly working. Well, I guess uh, the House of Dragons. I guess that's probably the most most recent if you count that as a TV show. That definitely counts as a TV show, yes. Yeah. <laughs> William, how about you? So I uh, rewatched Deadwood for, I think, the eighth time. It's one of my favorite series of all time. That's a great show. All I right. love and it. Then, <laughs> and then finally, William, who is your – this uh, This podcast airs on a sports talk radio station, so Ooh. I always like to ask people, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Past or present. Let's go – present and we're gonna go i want to say an astro but yeah say we'll go jose l too good choice nick how about you i'm gonna say pass because i recently watched a documentary on nolan ryan what what he did for the city and what he did for himself and his hard work and everything that he does and his work ethic so i would say nolan ryan so nolan ryan is a is a great answer all right yeah uh, William, give us the website for social media for Padres Wine Shop. PadresWine.com, the website, Padres Wine, Instagram. That's all we got right now. All right. Gentlemen, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Eric. Thank you very much. Pleasure meeting you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.